This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. Super excited because I've pursued this woman to be on the show now for a long time. It's been many months. Our schedules finally got together where we could do it. She's a New York Times number one bestseller. Okay, that's a pretty big deal. She's one of the top life coaches on the planet. And she's written a book, and I've told her this off camera, that I read every single word of, cover to back. It's called Everything is Figure Outable. And this is Marie Forleo, everybody. She is awesome, and you're going to enjoy today so much. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Ed. This is awesome. And I love you. Remember when I texted you? I was like, your phrase, max out, it speaks to my soul. (laughs) Well, thank you. I kind of do wish, I said this before, but I wish the... Some of the pre-interview conversation was in the interview because yeah. it's been so good for me. Yeah. And so, and I know today's going to be great for me and for millions of other people. So let's talk a little bit about this book, just because I think it's such an interesting read. And I, the genesis of it, first off, the title's awesome. Thank you. And I know where the title came from, but I don't think many of them do. Tell us about Tropicana Orange yes. and mom a little bit for where all this comes from. Yes. So we got to go back to Jersey for this story. Okay. Um, my mom, who's this amazing human, God bless her, she's still alive. She's in her 70s now. Um, Her name is Miriam. She's about 5'3". She grew up the daughter of, let me actually paint a better picture. So she's 5'3". She looks like June Cleaver. She curses like a truck driver. And she's got the tenacity of a bulldog. So she grew up the daughter of two alcoholic parents and she Mm. really learned by necessity how to stretch a dollar bill around the block. And she made herself a promise when she was young that she would somehow find a way to a better life. Now, one of my fondest memories as a kid was sitting around the kitchen table with my mom. She loved teaching me all the different ways that our family could save money. So we would sit around and clip coupons on Sundays. She also taught me about the fact that brands would send you free things Mm. if you saved up your proofs of purchase. Do you remember those? Uh, My mom did the exact same thing. I didn't do it with her, but she did the exact same thing. So like you get recipe books, you can get utensils. So one of my mom's most prized possessions ever was this tiny little AM FM transistor radio that she got from Tropicana orange juice for free. So it looked like an orange, has a red and white straw sticking out of the side, that's the antenna. And she's one of those humans who's always busy. She's always doing something. Mm -hmm. So I knew as a kid, the way to find my mom somewhere around the yard or somewhere around the house was listening for the tinny little sound of this radio. She would bring the radio with her. Everywhere, cleaning, cooking, you name it, right? So one day I come home from school and I hear the radio playing off in the distance. And as I got closer to the house, the radio was playing up from above, which was a strange orientation. I look up and I see my mom perched precariously on the roof of our two-story house. And I was like, like, mom, what are you doing up there? Are you okay? <laughs> her little orange is sitting next to her. And she said, Re, I'm fine. The roof had a leak. I called the roofer. He said it was going to be at least 500 bucks. I said, screw that. I'm going to do it myself. That's so awesome. Right? So another time I come home from school and I approach the house and I hear the radio playing from the back. And I followed the sound. Turns out my mom's in the bathroom. I push open the door. Dust particles are filling the air. There's like pipes coming out of the wall. It looked like an explosion went off. And I was like, mom, are you okay? What the hell happened? And she said, Rhea, I'm fine. The tiles had some cracks in it. I didn't want the, everything to get moldy, so I'm retiling the bathroom. Maybe. Now, Ed, you gotta get, um, my mom is high school educated, mm-hmm. and this is the 80s. So this is a pre-internet, pre-YouTube, pre-Google you can't world. Google how to do it. Exactly. Right. So I never knew what I'd find her doing, but I knew if I listened for that radio, I'd find her. So awesome. So one day I come home, and it's like a 
fall day in New Jersey, so it was dark out, it was already mm -hmm. creepy. And I approach my house, and it's completely silent, no lights on. And uh, an Italian-American home that's completely silent, this is not a good it's sign. Not normal. <laughs> not <Okay>. normal <laughs> at all. So I go in, and I had that pit in my stomach, nervous mm -hmm. about what I might find. And I'm like, where's my mom? Where's the sound of the radio? All of a sudden, I hear these clicks and clacks, and it was coming out of the kitchen. I go into the kitchen and I see my mom like hunched over the kitchen table, which looked like an operating room. And I said, mom, are you okay? What's going on? Um, she had basically electrical tape and <laughs> screwdrivers and a completely dismantled Tropicana orange radio. Oh. And I was like, what happened? This is your favorite thing. She's like, Ray, no big deal. I'm fine. You know, the antenna's a little broke. The tuner dial was off, so I'm fixing it. And I stood there, Ed watching her work her magic like I've always done. And I finally asked the question I should have always asked, which was this. Hey, Mom, how do you know how to do so many different things that you've never done before, but nobody's shown you how to do it? She put down her screwdriver and she said, Ray, what are you talking about? Nothing in life is that complicated. If you just roll up your sleeves, you get in there and you do it. Everything is figure outable. And I was like, you know, like as a kid, when you yes. hear something that just washes over you yes. and you're so moved. Yes. And from that moment forward, this little three word phrase has been the single most powerful driving force in my life. Everything is figurable. Everything By is the way, I love your mom and I haven't met her. And the other thing I love is you're such an extraordinary storyteller. I think everybody would agree with me. I'm picturing your mom very clearly. <laughs> on the roof, in the bathroom, in the kitchen, Thank you. I can see it. She's a fireball. I mean, to this day, I still, I get texts on my phone, like all caps, expletives, like she is just such a piece of work, but mm. I'm so grateful by her industrious nature because I learned by just watching her, how she never stopped herself. Like no matter what was going wrong, mm. uh, you know, personally, financially, anything, she would just dive straight in and find a solution. Yeah, I'm grateful for it too, because you're this really unique combination. It's why I love your work so much, because you do come from that kind of a family, which I really relate to, but you've also got this inherent giftedness to articulate in a way that's very unique, man or woman in this space. Um, the way you put words together, the way you draw pictures, both in your writing and the way you do it verbally is very special. Thank you. And I, am, I, am, I, I, uh, I acknowledge it in you because I'd like to think I have a little bit of that myself, but you have an extraordinary amount of it. And what I want to do with for everybody, because I want them to be familiar with your work and barely your mom's work on you yes. and through you, is I want to touch on a few of the things in the book just so that people get a flavor, they learn and get value today, and also that they want to get the book. Yes. So we're not going to go through every chapter. But you have this chapter in there that I'm a huge fan of. The reason I liked the book was I learned things, but then there were also things in the book that I said, I, I think that. I, I know that's true. Yes. Right? I know that's true. That's true. And one of them was that you say, and I want you to talk a little bit about this because your mom obviously did it over and over just in these three stories is you have to start before you're ready. Yes. And, and it's a huge thing. The people that I know, and I want you to speak to it, the people that I know that are successful, have a lower threshold in their mind of what they think they have to know before they begin. And many people, it's a blind spot. You have this thing that you think you have to have a certain amount of preparation or knowledge. And the people I know that win, they will step into rooms, into spaces that they are ill-prepared for yes. and they figure it out, to quote you, when they get there. So speak to that a little bit because it's so true. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest ways that all of us can hold ourselves back is listening to that nasty little lie inside our head that says, I'm not ready yet. 
-hmm. I don't have enough experience. I don't have enough credentials. Who am I to do X, Y, or Z? And then we just delay, delay, delay. And before you know it, months, if not years have gone by and we haven't made any real progress. You know, this was true for me. You know, when I started my coaching career, one of the things I discovered was that I just didn't want to be a coach. I've never really fit a traditional mode. And from doing all the personal development work to train myself to be the best coach I could be, I realized I have other passions. Mm. I love spirituality. I love writing. I love digital business, which was very new in the early 2000s. Mm. And I also love hip hop and dance. Yeah. And so when I was prop 25, I finally gave myself permission to go take my first official dance class. I never had an official class as a kid. I never took ballet or did any of that stuff. I just moonwalked across my mom's floor, right? <laughs> and just loved hip hop music. Mm. But starting in the dance world at 25, sounds odd, but you're kind of over the hill. Yeah. Because most professional dancers have been doing it since they popped out of the womb. Right. And by the time they're 17, 18, they're going on tour with the hottest artists of the day. So the reason I'm telling the story is it relates to start before you're ready. Mm. So I'd finally gotten up the gumption to go start taking classes. My teachers told me, they're like, you're pretty good. You should try and teach. And by the way, this was in a gym environment. So Crunch Fitness in New York City, yeah. that's where I was taking classes because I could afford it. Okay. And uh, I started becoming a substitute hip hop dance teacher. And again, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just felt like I was out of place, but here's what happened. That's crazy. One of my first dance classes that I ever taught solo, mm. when I got done with it, this woman walked up to me and I was still sweating. I was trying to catch my breath and she said, you're really good. I was like, thank you, that's amazing. Mm. She said, you know, I work for MTV and we're looking for that's a crazy. choreographer slash producer. I think you should come in and meet my boss. Now, Ed, in that moment, I was so green in the dance world. Yeah. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So my brain was going, I'm not ready for this. Yes. Why couldn't this opportunity come two or three or four years later when I know what the hell I'm doing? I'm better prepared. I could actually show up and maybe even land this gig. But here's what I realized. In my mind, I was like, you're already 25, which is over, in the, over the hill in the dance world. And the only chance you're ever gonna have to see if this could actually be a viable career for you is if you do this. Mm. So I remember standing outside of the Viacom building in New York City, wanting to throw up in the trash can because I was so nervous because I didn't feel ready, but I pushed myself, mm. finally got up to that office, I knocked on the door, I just did my best in the meeting, and you know what? I got the gig. So cool. And here's the thing. That one experience of being hired as a choreographer slash producer, by the way, I still didn't know what I was doing. When I was working with dancers that had 10 times more experience than I did, I was embarrassed because I didn't know all the terms. I didn't perform at my, I did the best I could do in that mm -hmm. moment, but there were a lot of things that I didn't know. Yep. My naivete did show. However, my growth and learning curve Man, it skyrocketed. Mm. And that one experience changed the entire trajectory of my career. It led to me eventually becoming a Nike Elite dance athlete, one of the first in the world. It led to fitness videos, choreographing commercials for Nike and Reebok and all of this Amazing. stuff that would have never happened if I didn't start before I was ready. So good. Yes. Uh, so, and I think, I'm just curious, it just occurred to me. By the way, I know a ton of men that that's the case for. Yeah. Do you think, is it any more prevalent for a woman to feel that way, do you think? Yeah, I, I do. I actually why? think, well, so one of the things that I've discovered in my research, up to 70% of humans suffer from what's called imposter syndrome. So it's this feeling that we're a fraud or that we don't belong where we are, that, mm -hmm. that we're somehow a fake and that people are gonna find us out. Yes. Now, generally speaking, this affects everybody, but I find that women and people from uh, marginalized communities tend to be harder hit by this because historically, 
we haven't been seen in positions of power. Mm. So if it's in the boardroom and business, right, mm. most of the time we've seen men, and typically it's white men. Yep. If it's in any kind of creative, powerful position, right, we just don't see a lot of people that look like us. So we tend to go back to, well, I'm not ready. I need to over-prepare so that I don't make a fool out of myself and I really can crush it when I get into that arena. I think you're right. It's one of the reasons I did the show. When I first started doing the show, I wanted to put on people that had maxed out achievement, but I also thought, what if I could give face to, in, in many cases, people that come from marginalized communities, or smaller communities, just minority communities, whatever Correct. that might be, yep. and give them a little bit more of a picture of examples of people that do that, because I do... I, my sense is that that's true, and you've confirmed kind of the reason why. Now, you talk about in the book one of the reasons that people have that imposter syndrome, and I want everyone to know this. I have it. Yeah. I, I have it, and there will be situations I find myself in where I'm like, they have no idea who I really am, right? It, 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 this stage not in a good my, way, too, right? Not in a good way. Right. No, 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 I don't, no, certainly not in a good way. You know, whether I'm coaching somebody in a particular area, and I'm thinking, do they know? You know, I, I still have that a little bit. And I think it kind of is good in the sense that it does cause me to over-prepare sometimes yeah. when I've got an opportunity. But one of the things I used to struggle with that I no longer do that you talk about in the book that is sort of a symptom of that disease is this concept of having to be perfect over making progress. Yeah, I love this part of the book, everybody, because... This is a major thing many of you have. Yeah, perfectionism. Perfectionism it's is a huge crushing. thing. Yep. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, so many of us, we want to do our best. So we have high standards and all of those things are wonderful. But there is a distinction between having high standards and performing at your best and suffering from perfectionism, yeah. which in the extreme can actually be deadly. So there's some research out there. Um, and this is sad, but it's, it's important to know. When they started talking to folks um, who had a relative who recently took their own life, yeah. they discovered that in over 50% of the cases, without prompting, the relatives described that person who's no longer here mm. as being a perfectionist. Oh. They could never meet their own standards. They never felt like they were so good true. enough. Yes. And when that roots in on a deep level, you can understand how mm -hmm. someone could feel that depressed mm -hmm. and feel that lost and feel like nothing they ever do could ever match up. Mm -hmm. So it's a real thing. And for me, you know, I have strains of that and I'm so happy, you know, age and experience, you kind of see the world in a different light. Yeah. But the thing that's helped me the most and what we focus on in the book is this idea of focusing on progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. When that's your metric for success, did I learn something today? Mm -hmm. Did I make an inch of progress? Even if it doesn't look like progress. So there's actually, a, a great graph in the book. Yes. I'll see if I can describe it yeah, here. Yeah, I so, love this. So people imagine that progress kind of looks like this. You start out here mm. and you're just new at something and then you inch up and 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 it's almost like this straight line to get to your goal. When in reality, progress <laughs> kind of looks like this. You start here yes. as a neophyte and then you maybe inch up and then you take five steps back, and mm. then you go way down, and then mm. you swirl around, and you go up and down, and it's just this back. incredibly squiggly line where there are setbacks. Yep. You absolutely feel like maybe you've taken 10 steps back, yes. but that's still progress. So true. So when we're focusing on progress, not perfection, it's a really great way to keep your action in perspective and to keep moving forward because perfectionism really just keeps pe people spinning their wheels. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's the number one excuse not to get started. And yeah. I, I, one thing I, everyone should know too, because I, 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 I love this part of the book. Let me say something to you guys. You know that just staying after your dream is actual progress because so many people on the race to getting that dream just quit it. 
Yeah. The fact that you're just still in pursuit of it is a form of progress, right? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm blown away often by people I find, I think my son was a good example of this even in golf. He started out, he just naturally didn't come to him. Yeah. And I think if you watched him in the beginning, you'd think, my gosh, he should probably choose something else. Right, but that little boy just kept going to the driving range and hitting balls and hitting balls and hitting, and it didn't get. It, it would get a little better, and then I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's worse. Yes, it's actually worse." But what was happening in there was some sort of progress in his muscle memory and his insights and his confidence that he just put the work in. And this is true in all these things. Then there was a day I remember showing up and he hit a ball and it made that sound it's supposed to make if you play golf and I went oh my god he, he's got that sound now yes and, it, and even after that he'd shoot an 88 or a bad tournament it's exactly the way it works in business in life it's exactly the way a relationship works that's right I think people think my relationships this straight line too no it's not it has these huge setbacks and a big fight and they let you down and maybe someone wasn't truthful once but it's it's the idea of staying in it if it's worth it to you that gives you progress I just I love that well that you hit upon something really big there staying if it in it if it's worth it to you I would love to circle back and talk about just in case anyone listening right now is yeah. going like okay you guys this is a cool idea right mm -hmm. I get it everything is figure outable it's very positive but I don't believe it I'm skeptical so when I was first starting to work on the book I was out to brunch with a friend who brought along her 10 year old son and they were like hey Marie what are you working on new book what's it called everything is figure outable and the 10 year old was like no it's not Nope, no, it's not figure outable. And there may be people listening right now who feel the same way, and I welcome that. Mm -hmm. And I said, Well, tell me more, young man. What's not figure outable? And he said, Well, we human beings can't grow working wings out of our back and fly away. And I was like, Well, that's true, but have you heard of CRISPR? That might be coming somewhere down the line. That's right. And we human beings can indeed fly. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. He's like, Well, what about this one? I can't bring my dog back from the dead. And I was like, well, that's some pet cemetery shit right there. But, <laughs> but I said, you know, scientists are working on cryogenics and mm. human beings have been cloning dogs. And he's mm. like, yeah, I guess you're right. So enough conversations like that inspired me to create a set of rules, which is mm. really like a mental container mm. that allows us to use this phrase and philosophy for its intended purpose, which yeah. is to help us create change and then help us create positive change in the world around us. So the three rules of the figure outable philosophy, this is helpful. Rule number one. All problems or dreams are figure outable. Rule number two, if a problem isn't figure outable, it's not really a problem, it's a fact of life. Death, taxes, gravity, right. certain laws of nature. Right, a guy my height can't dunk a basketball Correct. Without, right, without a trampoline. Rule number three, right. you may not care enough there you go. to solve this particular problem mm. or reach this particular dream and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Find something you do care deeply about and go back to rule number one. So as you're related to your son, yes. right? So anyone listening going, well, X, Y, and Z isn't figure outable. It's like, well, you know, it might not be figure outable as of right now, but think about a hundred years ago. Thinking about a man walking on the moon, mm -hmm. wasn't figure outable, mm -hmm. yet 1969 happened, all of a sudden it is. Yes. And then I would say the other quick thing, again, just because people, we human beings have tough struggles in life, and there may be someone watching right now who's thinking, yeah, but you know, what about things like addiction, mm -hmm. or trauma, or a life-changing or life-ending diagnosis? Are you telling me that that's figure outable? And I'll tell you, Ed, in the depth of my bones I am, and here's why I say that with confidence, mm -hmm. 
the first time I shared this idea outside of my own platform was on Oprah's Super Soul Sessions. Mm -hmm. It was like an 18 minute Oprah TED Talk. Mm -hmm. And after she put that out on our podcast, I started getting letters from people that I'd never met, they weren't familiar with my work, never worked with them, but this phrase really triggered something powerful. Mm -hmm. And one of the letters I got was from a woman named Jen. And she said, Marie, I loved your Oprah talk. It's actually a lesson my mom has been trying to teach me. And in fact, I sat down with my mom, we watched together, it was awesome. But then everything changed. My beautiful mom, who's like my best friend on the planet, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm. And suddenly nothing seemed figure outable. Mm. She said, but I took a step back mm. and I looked more deeply and here's what I discovered. I could figure out how to find nursing care for my mom mm. who lived in a rural area. Mm. I could figure out how to find foods that she could actually tolerate. And then this was the big one. She could figure out how to get medical equipment so that her mom could spend her last days and in fact, her last five weeks on planet Earth exactly where she wanted to be, Wonderful. which was in her own home. Mm -hmm. So Jen said, I can say without a doubt that yes, everything really is figure outable and thanks for sharing this small phrase that made a big difference to two women living on the other side of the world. She's from New Zealand. Yeah, that just made a huge difference for lots of people listening to this. Yes. I relate to that a little bit. As I said to people, my dad's sick right now. Yes. You know, to the extent of my dad's cancer, I guess it's probably unknown. Yes. But what's good about that? Well, what's figure outable about that? To be candid with you, it's helped me figure out a lot of my other personal relationships. I think it's helped my dad figure out what's really important to him. Yes. Um, these sometimes these very difficult things open up the figure outableness in other areas of our life. I think he's starting to become more clear of his own mortality and what he really believes where he's going in his spiritual he's began to figure out these things yes. as a result of this time in his life i've figured out that the time with my dad's a whole lot more important than i used to think it was yes the time with other people i love and so there are hidden blessings these things that everybody says that i've been saying for 100 years that everything happens for you and not to you I really believe to be true, ultimately, yes. if you believe in something beyond this life as well. Yeah. But you say something in the book that I talk about all the time that I think is right down this alley of the pursuit of what really matters yeah. to you finding happiness in your figure outableness. Yes. And that is this, that I really truly believe every human being was born with some special unique gifts. They're different, that's what makes us special. It could be your humility, your humor, your beauty, your articulation, your intellect, your your nurturing ability, your ability to, uh, your engineering uh, ability, your acting ability, your dance ability, your, your ability to just be peaceful with people, to change people's states. There's so many to teach, right? To learn. There's all these unique gifts. We're all wired with two or three or four that are really special to us. And I, this, this, when I read this in the book, I went, I, I, I can't love this book more. Mm -hmm. And that is, and it makes me emotional because I just think most humans who say, I don't know what I want to figure out. The pathway to that is your giftedness. And you say in the book, the world needs your gift. Yes. So talk about that because you say it so beautifully and it, the way you do it, I think will open up people's eyes and hearts. Yeah, it's how I end the show. And sometimes Ed, people write to me, watch the show and they say, you know, I love everything you share, but I always wait for this last sentence, mm -hmm. which the world needs that special gift that only you have. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's yet another gift from my mom who really, I got that messaging over and over because I was kind of a unique child. When people would ask me when I was young, what do you wanna be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. There was a list of 15 things, <laughs> always. I mm -hmm. never had one good answer. And you know, as I became a young adult and even after college, I still never could answer in one way. I just felt always felt like a misfit. 
But well, I Misfit, who was a valedictorian at yes, Seton Hall. But, but okay. struggled. Like, okay. went, you know, I worked on Wall Street. That was my first job mm. out of school. After like six months, I was like, this sucks. I do not want this life. I mm. can't imagine being here 24 mm. 7. So I quit that job. I worked in publishing. I tried so many different things and kept hitting walls because I didn't fit into a traditional box. And it wasn't until becoming an entrepreneur that I could wear a bunch of different hats mm. and flex all of my different skills and gifts that I actually felt like I belonged, if that makes any kind of yeah. sense. So this notion that the world needs a special gift that only you have, I, I feel like, especially with so many things happening in the world right now, you know, statistics show that over 300 million of us worldwide suffer from depression. Yeah. Um, if you look in any direction here in the United States, suicide rates are at a 30 year high, like a lot of us are in a lot of pain. Mm. And I think one of the pieces of that puzzle is people don't feel like they're needed. They don't feel like they have purpose or like they matter or how they're living their lives on a consistent basis. They're not contributing or growing and any human being that's not contributing or growing is gonna go into some dark places. I certainly have okay. in the past, you know what I mean? If, mm. I, if I'm off kilter and I don't feel like I'm making a difference mm. or I'm learning anything new, Again, this is so, so typical. So for me, this message about encouraging people to identify what it is that they are here to give and to contribute and to share, mm. I think it is such a pathway to well-being. It is. It's a pathway to fulfillment from a financial perspective. It's a pathway to make yourself not only uh, financial, financially solvent, but if, if your ambitions align that way, to make yourself financially free Yes. in terms of contribution and what you want to give the yeah. world. You know, oftentimes when I have this conversation, with people, they'll say, but Marie, everything's been done before. Yeah. Everything's been said before by people who are more famous, more experienced. Oh my goodness, I see this person came out with X, Y, or Z. I watch Ed's show, that's exactly what I want to do. Or I watch Marie's show or that book, that's exactly what I wanted to say. Mm. And then I tell them this story. So when Josh and I, my partner, we've mm -hmm. been together for 16 years. When we first got together, I was in my uh, kind of mid-20s, around that 25, 26-year-old mark. And I was bartending and waiting tables. My coaching business was really tiny. I was doing all the side gigs just to keep things going. And he's an actor. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were living together. And he would often go away to film a movie or a television mm -hmm. show. And we're in New York City. And he would come back to our home. And our trash can would be filled with empty boxes of Chef Boyardee and craft macaroni and cheese and like all of this processed crap food because mm. that's just what I was doing, right? right that's right. just, I was like Bart doing all the things I yeah. just didn't have time. And he's like, Marie, why don't we start taking some supplements and oh, let's start juicing and we should get more vegetables in your diet. And I was so stubborn, Ed, I was mm. such an ass. I was like, whatever hippie man, like <laughs> it's too expensive. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I'm working like four jobs. Just leave me alone. No, 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 past mac and cheese. Mm. Fast forward like three years mm. and I met this woman and uh, her name is Chris Carr and she is a cancer thriver. She's written all of these New York Times bestselling books. Her and I became like really fast friends. Okay. And all she does is tout the benefits of uh, a vegan diet and green juice. So I come home one day and I'm like, Josh. <laughs> I love it. I met the most amazing woman. Here's all the supplements we should take. We should get this juicer. I should be juicing. Why haven't we done it? We should have been doing this years ago. And Josh was like, are you kidding me? I love it. I've been telling you the same thing. Yes. Why couldn't you hear it from me? And this is the point. Sometimes it takes that one person mm. to share a message or a product or a service or a gift in their unique voice in a particular time, in a particular way, for it to land 
for another human. Oh my gosh. So people listening right now, if they have been holding themselves back, either through perfectionism or through saying it's all been said or done before, no, that is not true. If you haven't put in your piece of the puzzle, it has not been said before. And then I say this, if you have an idea or a gift or a product or a service or something that you wanna create and you don't do everything possible to put it out there, you are stealing from those who need you most. And I do mean stealing Mm. because, you know, when I think about it, if there's any clothing designer, any restaurateur who makes a a dish that you love, Mm. you know, when I think about Oprah Winfrey, for example, right? She could have said, you know what? Phil Donahue, he's got this whole talk show thing kind of covered. The world doesn't need another talk show host. And think about all the goodness, at least for me, she's Mm -hmm. a huge idol of mine. Absolutely, incredible. That the world would have missed out on if she held herself back. You can think about it on a micro scale, like your favorite place that you go for guacamole or for pasta or whatever your thing is. You can look around and they could have said, oh, there's enough Mexican restaurants, there's enough Italian restaurants, why do I need to add to it? You would have missed out on all that joy. We can go down the line for anything that you find value from. You're so good. I got. I want to. I want to jump in on this because it's so flipping true. Yes. Uh, f- first off, on your gift, everybody, something to think about. Your gift will come through you giving something to other people. That's why it's a gift. You're going to give it to somebody. So if you're struggling with what that gift is, think about what you could give to people. That's number one. Number two, oftentimes our giftedness that we don't maybe know we have is hidden in the people we admire most. Mm. So if you begin to look at who you admire, like one of my heroes growing up was Martin Luther King. What do I have in common with Martin Luther King? I'm not African-American. I'm not a minister. His oratory skills are superior to anybody I've ever seen before. But what I loved is he could inspire. I love that he seemed to care about people. And that, I saw something in him that I think I knew was in me. Now maybe I'd manifest it in a completely different way. But if you begin to think about who you admire, ask yourself what you admire about them and it's probably because you've identified something in them that lies within you. Second, the third thing on that I just wanna add, that everybody, because what you just said about that special voice, people know that I've had lots of business mentors and they know many of them are very well-known, very famous people, but what most of you might not know is that my initial mentor, the person who believed in me the most, was a man in my own company who was much less successful than I became. He was not successful, his name was, he's become successful to this day, but his name was Steve Adams. And he was a struggling entrepreneur going through his 401k, but he'd write me letters every month about how incredible I was going to be and how successful. This is why I was in college. I wasn't even in his company yet. He changed my life by his belief in me when he was not yet successful, mm-hmm. but he gave me the gift because this is a kind man. Yes. One of his gifts is his kindness and his generosity. And he gave me his belief in his kindness and generosity. You'd think, well, why'd that matter? He wasn't even successful because it was the messenger I needed. You don't have to have it all together to help other people. So I just I want to completely acknowledge what you've said because you're so right. Everybody needs to know that. Yeah, and another place to look if people are looking, like I love the thing, what you admire in other people, something mm. that you might aspire to be, that's a great clue. Mm-hmm. Another great clue, and I think we discount this, things that come naturally to us, yeah. right? And we assume, mm. make an assumption that Everyone else has that gift too. It comes naturally to them. I, I had this so at true. so many points in my life where I'm always the one who can come up with a refrain. I don't feel like I'm a Pollyanna. It's just my mind is wired to solve problems and it's also wired to see things from different points of view. That's just how I'm built. Yeah. And I'm like, doesn't everybody see things this way? Mm. No, I have a whole career out of right, it. Right, exactly. So, But it comes so naturally and so easily. And I think so often we humans discount that yeah. which comes easily to us 
and we think that everyone has it. So that might be another pocket of investigation. I can't even get over how amazing what you're saying is because that's true of even guests on my show. They'll have greatness in them. Yeah. And they're like, well, everybody has that. I'm like, no, no. the reason you're here, <laughs> right? And, and this is true of every single human being. And this is not, we're not superior humans in any way. No. I'm a goofball and I'm an average ordinary person. Happiness is finding out what your gift is and then living your life using that gift in the service of other people. That's, I, I, I completely want to acknowledge this. Like it's one of the most important things we've ever covered on the show before because it doesn't get talked about enough. So Also too, I want to build on that if we yeah, can. Sure. You know, the fact that it, for anyone listening or watching thinking that we have special skills or that we're, uh, this is another question, like, Marie, are you always happy? Right. Are you always up? Are you always motivated? Do you ever have bad days? I have tons of shit-tastic days. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yes. I have, t I still have tons of self-doubt. You know, we were talking off camera. I just came off this book tour, which has been amazing. But Incredible. I had this idea about how I wanted to launch the book and it terrified me. Yeah. So my idea was, what if a Beyonce concert and a TED talk had a baby and then threw a block party? So like, cool. can I do this? And yeah. when I said that out loud, first of all, everything in me lit up mm -hmm. and then everything in me was terrified. Defied. So much self-doubt. And I actually documented it. We did a video about the behind the it's scenes. It's an awesome video. Thank you. But I wanted to show people mm. how much fear and anxiety and self-doubt I have even after a 20-year career. Mm. Does that, and so, mm -hmm. you know, I just, I want to just highlight and underscore that yep. bit that anyone you admire, they absolutely have bad days. First of all, they poop and fart just like everyone else. Exactly. But it's highly likely yeah. that they struggle with depression yep. and anxiety and not feeling good enough. One million percent. And, yeah. and the reason that it's so important to know this is one that will help you too. It's your, it, it, I'm not going to let you have that excuse. Yeah. It's a convenient excuse to think somebody's different or special or a Martian or superhuman and they're not exactly. I can acknowledge that we all poop and fart, just so you know. And, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I love that line. I've never heard that line before, yeah. but that's the first time that's ever been uttered on our show. Mike's agreeing with it, and I can guarantee you that Mike farts a lot. And yeah, I, I mean, most sure. of us do, and then we yeah. blame it on someone else, yeah. and we just look around. It was the dog. Was anyway, I'll tell you, <laughs> Kuma, Kuma, my dog, yeah. is he has some like silent but deadly ones. Yeah. I think dog farts are the most dense farts ever. I think anyway, that's probably true. It's and probably I, true. By the way, that's that's note-taking material. You guys, if that's not transformational, totally change your life material, I don't know what else. What is. else are we going to give you? Well, come on. <laughs> what are you looking for? But by the way, on that line, I want to say something to you because you make me laugh and um, so does your social media. And I want people to follow you. So because like your, your social media is like infotainment. Yes. It's informative, but it's like the dance routines. She'll be in the middle of an airport, you guys, and just flat get down for a few minutes dancing with people just looking at her like, what in the world? Uh, this, I love that about you. Thank you. Well, yeah. uh, it's funny because uh, my mom often laughs. My mom watches the show and she's mm. like, can we please have more dancing and mm. more outfits? And she mm. loves the goofy side of me because mm. that's always been who I am mm. since I was a little kid. And I think that's probably one of my favorite parts about social, at least right now. And also after being on tour, I had some folks on my team and we were able to work in new ways with video cameras. I'm like, you guys, I am this silly all the time. It's just nine times out of 10, I don't have my phone on me because I'm just doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a number one thing when people meet me. It's funny because I show that side of me, but not a lot. When people meet me, they're like, oh my God, you're like a total weirdo. Yeah. I thought you were this really, I think it's the deep voice or whatever the hell I look serious. But I think if they knew off camera, like we're all kind of a bunch of weirdos that yes. are, I guess we're farting all the time according to you too. So I, that's I mean, we cool. are. Um, yeah. There's science behind that too, about how many times we do it a day. And I think it's about six or seven. But okay. 
on to um, another note, I think what we're talking about right now, if we're going to shift gears a mm -hmm. little bit, that's one of the reasons that TikTok is so popular. Yes. And you know why? Yeah. It's because it's not filtered and it's not perfect and people are actually having just a good time yeah. being totally goofy, yes. absolutely ridiculous and not trying to position. Oh, that's do, so that, true. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So yep. that's why it's it's kind of fun. You're right. Okay. I love today. So first off, you need to, they need to follow you on Instagram. They need to get your book. Everything is figure outable. Anything else you want them to know where to find you? I would say, I mean, everything is figure outable is the big thing. We also have something that we only do once a year okay. for creatives and entrepreneurs called B-School, which is okay. online business school for creative entrepreneurs who want to not only make money, but actually make a difference. It's a huge thing in my life is yep. helping people find their purpose and deliver that through their products or their services. Mm. People can check out when it opens. It only opens in February. Join bschool.com. We do a ton of free workshops and webinars so people can learn. Even if they never sign up, they'll mm. get a ton of value. Okay. And then just at Marie Forleo. Okay. She's awesome, you guys. I, I want to I wanna ask you one more question, so everybody stay with us because there's a good question coming to finish. But um, first, thank you for working so hard on yourself. Aww. Because I think you're special, but I don't think you're special because you were born special. I think you're special because you're this convergence of somebody who found their giftedness and their brilliance and you've worked really hard at it Amazing. in the service of others. And I, I, you guys can tell. You can I know you all can tell, okay, I get why he's such a huge fan of hers. And many of my folks were already fans of yours too. But for those of you that weren't, now you know why I wanted her on the show so badly because we helped a lot of people today. You did. But if, you were to, if someone ran into you at Starbucks right now yes. and they said, can I have five minutes? I want to change my life. I, there's something in my life I want to change. It's my how I feel about myself, my relationships. I want to start a business. I, uh, I want to lose 30 pounds. Whatever it is, I need to create a change of something in my life. What advice would you give them? I know that's a general question with a, you know, a broad reach, but in general to create a change because you've changed your life and you've helped hundreds of thousands of people change theirs. What would you, what would you say to them? Well, I would say first, you have to believe that everything is figure outable, including this. So you need that bedrock belief. That's baseline number one. Very good. Two, I would say to get crystal clear on exactly what that change is and make it as specific and concrete as possible. So I want to get in shape becomes, well, I want to go to the gym for the next 21 days, you know, five days a week so I can do 20 push-ups. Like we would have them get more specific, concrete, mm -hmm. and make it measurable so it can actually, actually be achievable. Agreed. Then I would ask them why. Why do you want this change? Why is this so important? Why does this have to happen now? Because reasons back up results, everyone yeah. knows this, but I don't think people dig deeply enough mm -hmm. because in the depth of that reason, in the depth of the why is gonna come the commitment, <laughs> the emotional commitment to make it happen. And then the final piece would be this, I would tell them to write it down, why? Yep. Studies actually show this, that we human beings are 42% more likely to reach our goals if we actually write them down. Now I know this sounds like Captain Obvious to most people, however, my experience has shown me most people don't do the obvious things. Mm -hmm. So there was a study by Dr. Gail Matthews, uh, she is a professor at the Dominican University of California and she's the one that proved that we are 42% more likely to reach our goals if we simply write them down. So I would ask that person to write it down. Then I would ask them to look at it every single day when they wake up and when they go to sleep and ideally get some accountability. I know I just gave you a very long answer, but if, answer. but if I got someone in Starbucks and that's what they asked me, I'd say, if you did these things and you just committed to those five or six things, I can pretty much guarantee that that person would reach their goal. You're awesome. Thank you. 
You're awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And again, I really want to emphasize this for everyone listening. Every time I've looked at your social or I've looked at your videos and you, I hear you just hear that, like, let's max out. Mm -hmm. I feel my body become more alive <laughs> and I get excited. And I'm like, yes, we can do this. So thank you for the contribution that you make. And thanks for having me on your show. We're going to do some more stuff together. I hope so. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank guys. you. Speaking of my social, everybody, every day on Instagram, I run the max out two minute drill because I want to connect with you. It's, it's the reason I do it. And so what I do every day when I make a post, it's about 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern, every day, Monday through Friday. If you make a comment in the first two to five minutes because you're following me and your notifications are turned on, you enter a drawing every day. So that's the first way you qualify. Or number two, make a comment on other people's comments. Do both and you have two chances to win. Or third, if you miss the first two to five minutes, no big deal, just make a comment on every post every day. At the end of the week, we add up all those people and pick winners as well. Winners have got max out gear, rides on my jet, tickets to my events, coaching calls with my guests, my book, all kinds of cool stuff. So engage with me on social media as well. I hope you enjoyed today's program, everybody. God bless you and max out. This is the Admiral Show.